0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Space News Pod. This is a show where we discuss SpaceX, NASA, and spaceflight. I'm your host, Will Walden. First off, we will be talking about the IFT-3 flight for the Starship Super Heavy from Boca Chica Star Base, Texas. We're going to talk about the mission that's going to be happening during this flight because it's impressive what SpaceX is going to be trying to accomplish with this one. As opposed to the IFT-2, hot staging was super impressive. They got that pretty much right. Now, we know the booster blew up and we know the ship blew up, but there are some things that they could be doing with the next flight that are absolutely necessary for the Artemis three mission. And these just came up a little bit ago. And I want to show you a few of these things happening. The human landing system activities, which were, this is part of a slide from a NASA presentation the other day. They show here that several milestones completed, including a vacuum optimized Raptor performance test that successfully confirmed the engine can be started in the extreme cold conditions resulting from extended time in space. I completed their second starship flight test and are quickly moving towards their third, which will include a propellant transfer demonstration. That's what we're talking about today. The propellant transfer demonstration, because what they need to do is they need to send starships to orbit around the earth and that they have tankers of starship propellant in orbit. In the starship will mate with those tankers and then they'll transfer propellant from the tanker to the ship. And then the ship will go to the moon or wherever else it's going to be going. So let's take a look at this real quick, because I think this is an important thing that we have to talk about today. The, uh, you see the starships here circling these right now. And we see the propellant tanker is it's almost twice as high as you can see. It's about, I did not a perfectly straight line there, but it's pretty close. And as you can see, there's a little bit of a, it's a little bit different here. It's a little bit taller, a little bit bigger. And if we go back to this slide, completed the second starship flight test, and then quickly towards the third, which will include a propellant transfer demonstration. Now, do they mean a full transfer? And do they have a propellant tanker ready to go at Starbase? And the answer to that is probably not. Okay. So. More than likely, and this is actually being confirmed by a few sources now, that SpaceX will be doing a fluid transfer or a propellant transfer from something to something, from some tank to another tank while they're doing their IFT-3 flight. So they're going to get into space. They broke the carbon line with the IFT-2 flight. So that means they're technically in space. And this is what this NASA tipping point Agreement is that SpaceX signed a while ago. So right here, as you can see, SpaceX of Hawthorne, large-scale flight demonstration to transfer 10 metric tons of cryogenic propellant, specifically liquid oxygen, between tanks on a Starship vehicle. SpaceX will collaborate with Glenn and Marshall. Now, these are tipping point selections for NASA for the Artemis program. So 10 metric tons of cryogenic propellant, between tanks on a starship vehicle. So not only are we going to see a transfer of starship between a tanker, the big propellant tanker in orbit at some point, but this next flight, the IFT three flight is going to be transferring propellant from one tank to another tank while it's flying. Now this is incredible and these things have been confirmed a few times on social media and one of the piece, one of the people that confirmed this was Michael Sheets of course space reporter everybody knows Michael Sheets Michael Sheets is the man and NBC guy so he has SpaceX's third space flight will include a propellant transfer. And then he reached out to NASA in the later tweet. And we'll talk about that too. Hawkins didn't address the third Starship test flights plans in her remarks. So I've reached out to NASA and SpaceX to clarify what propellant transfer demonstration means in this context. So we already know... That the, that SpaceX and NASA had the tipping point consideration. And then we're going to take a look at the update from Michael Sheets. NASA confirms a starship propellant transfer demonstration could happen as soon as the third test flight test of the SpaceX rocket, although the plan is subject to change. And that's, what's important here. The subject to change always happens with spaceflight because Things might not line up properly for the IFT-3 flight. They may not be ready for it. They may not have the right craft properly prepared for this flight, for the propellant demonstration, the transfer demonstration. So we're going to see in the near future if this is actually a thing. We're going to have to wait for SpaceX to come out and say that the propellant transfer is going to be happening with the IFT-3 flight. Now, this tipping point agreement, let's take another quick look at this. Cryogenic 10 tons of cryogenic propellant. I know I'm behind the stuff is behind me, but I'll tell you what it says. 10 metric tons of cryogenic propellant, specifically liquid oxygen between tanks on a starship vehicle. So that means they're not going to be transferring it to the, to the propellant tanker. Cause the tanker is a whole different beast. That's basically a starship and a half, but full of propellant that they have to shoot up into orbit and, Have we already seen a mock-up of this? Not sure yet, but we'll get into that a little bit because that's a fun one to think about too. Now, another thing that's interesting, another fun thing to think about for the IFT3 flight, Toby Lee, the internal date for IFT3 is scheduled for Christmas day, but that's almost guaranteed to slip. Okay. So they're still working on the pad. They're still working on Starbase itself. They're still working on the launch area of starbase and they have 20 days to get this right to get all the propellant loading all the all the static fires done all the stacking they have to stack unstack restack do fit checks things like that in order for them to actually fly this could they do that in three weeks history has shown that they can't really move that fast And that seems like a horrible thing to say that SpaceX can't move really fast because they're moving faster than everybody else ever, like literally ever. They're the fastest spaceflight company ever, but can they do this in three weeks? We've seen them, uh, static fire numerous times. It takes about, it takes a few days to do a static fire. The static fire itself is only a couple seconds, you know, like a quick burst. They have to move the booster and the ship down to the flight area, and then they have to lift the booster onto the pad and around to the mount. And that takes about a day, right? So then they have to do static fire. They have to do, actually, they have to do propellant fill tests. They have to check out systems. So those usually take system checkouts, usually take another day. Propellant fill tests usually take three or four days altogether. So the booster itself, five, six days. So they have to do the same thing with the ship five, six days, about a week each, so there's two weeks. Then they have to do stacking. they have to move things around they have to make sure that everything works properly when it's stacked. couple days there, and then they have to do propellant load in the stacked area they have to get they have to get certification from the f a a as well, and that may take a while, <laughs> so they may be able to stack it they may be able to stack it. By Christmas Day, but usually in anything tech, I've worked in tech for 15 years and engineering, I, I've been around engineers my whole life. I know how this works. Usually, when they set an internal date, this is for people to aspire to. So, the internal date, Christmas Day, this is something for the engineers and the people at Starbase to aspire to get done because everyone's going on break. IFT three is scheduled for Christmas Day. It's almost guaranteed to slip. Uh, yeah, Toby Lee, you're right. It's almost guaranteed to slip. But the internal dates are to push people forward so they can continue working as hard as they can and work those long extra hours so they can get everything done before they go home for Christmas break. They get they want to get everything as good as possible, as done as possible, because they do have a Christmas break at Starbase. They do have. Christmas breaks and holiday breaks for people at SpaceX. So if they know there's not going to be a big team there for a week, maybe some people will be taking vacations for a week or a week and a half, and they're not going to have the full staff of people there. So there's a possibility they're just pushing this through so that they get as much work done before the break as possible. More than likely IFT three will slip past, past Christmas. Unfortunately for us, we probably, let's just, how about, tell me in the comments. Do you think it's possible? Tell me in the comments, because I don't know, man. It seems like it, it might be possible if they get everything absolutely perfectly done right now. Have to do it right now. Like, literally, they have to start stacking this thing like as soon as possible. But is it possible? And did we already see a propellant tanker test? Could this be the article... That could be the propellant tanker test model, the ship 26. They did a static fire on it. Could this be IFT three because they have to get the propellant transfer like perfectly done. They have to do it perfect in the first few flights of it in order for it to function properly for the future of SpaceX and for Artemis and etc this is why would they static fire this if they're not going to use it in the future unless they were doing some new plumbing for the next raptor engines or something like that It's there's a possible anything is possible anything is possible here so the ift3 flight it's going to transfer propellant in the ship itself so in there's going to be a tanker to tanker or a tank to tank transfer and ship 26 possibly Going to be a in-orbit propellant transfer vehicle, or it could have just been a demonstration test to check out flow or any, anything's possible with this thing. So could this be IFT-3? Possibly too. Could they be flying IFT-3? And then there's some setback or there's some weird stuff with that too, if you think about it, because this doesn't have any wings. It doesn't have any heat shield it doesn't have anything that the other ships that have already flown have or have been tested ship 24 7 even had all those things had the heat shield and the wings and everything but this has nothing this is a bare fuselage it's just a nose cone and a tube in the internals of course in the engines but could this be the ift3 flight? and i've been thinking about that a little bit because it just has to demonstrate the in orbit propellant transfer and if they don't really care like how it functions after that, then why not just send something up that's just has tanks in it and they get that job job done. It doesn't have to land perfectly. It can burn up. Sorry. You could belly smacker in the off the coast of Kauai, like anything else could. And it doesn't need a heat shield. It doesn't really, does it need wings if it's being propelled through space? Not at that point. But when it comes back in, it can't really guide itself as well without the wings. So there's a poss- there's a slight possibility that this could be some sort of transfer protocol. And they just shoot it up there and <laughs> they can't really, they can steer it with the Raptor engines, but not as well with wings, not as well as with wings. So there's a possibility, slight possibility. I'm gonna give it a 2% possibility that this thing could be the propellant transfer ship, but let me know what you think in the comments, because I want to, I want to hear some, some ideas from some people because without any way to steer this thing, other than the Raptor engines, it might be too dangerous at this point, because this is totally a test article. Starship is still a test article. It's still a, still a test ship. So this might be a little bit too much at this point without the wings of the heat shield or anything like that. Plus they have to demonstrate that all the other things are going to work they have to make sure that everything works and that the propellant tanks don't blow up and there's only one of these and there's a bunch of other there's four other ships that are at starbase right now that are like raring to go until the next raptor engines are installed on the next ship we're gonna see hopefully by i'm gonna guess february that they're gonna get this thing ready because they're gonna work really fast until december 25th and i've been down there during christmas it gets dead There's barely anybody there for about a week. So they're going to lose about a week's worth of time. Just side of the road broadcasting. When I was down there, I barely saw anybody else. The only other people that I really saw there were security guards and Jessica Kirsch and a couple other people would like wander through, but there was never any, never any like real big presence of starship facility operators or engineers or anybody working on the ships themselves. So that happened last year too. If history does repeat itself, there's a possibility that, you know, this, like, Starbase basically shuts down for a week and a half. So they're going to push hard through December. And then the end of December, they're going to take a week to reconfigure, get everybody ready for the new year. And then they're going to push hard to get IFT3 off the ground. They would really love to get it done by the end of this year, though, because they have five flights per year, according to their current contract. And if they can get a third one off by the end of the year, they could possibly uh, um, deter another, or they could get three done out of the five, and then they restart on January 1st with five more. And they can always, if they need it, they can get more. So that might not even be a, an issue going forward. So it could be a small thing that they just have to reapply for. And they're probably already in the process of that. So they have to prove this out. And then... We'll see. That's pretty much it. Like, we're going to see what happens, but I don't see a flight happening by the end of this year. Also, there's one other really cool thing that I want to show you, Jared Isaacman. So, the Polaris Dawn mission commander, and this is for the Hubble Space Telescope. And we're all familiar with the Hubble Space Telescope. So much cool stuff from the Hubble. NASA is working to resume science operations of the Hubble Space Telescope after it entered safe mode November 23rd due to an ongoing gyroscope issue. Hubble's instruments are stable and the telescope is in good health. So everything's working properly on Hubble. The gyroscopes went down. So they had to take this thing whole, uh, like completely offline because the gyroscopes. This thing is old. Hubble's old, decades old. And then Jared Eisenman says, put us in, coach. Okay, so that's... Uh, So if you're not familiar with the Polaris program, Polaris program is using SpaceX technology, Falcon 9 rockets, and Crew Dragons to basically go to orbit uh, for regular people to go to orbit. A a very cool team of people to go to orbit. And they're going to be doing some specific demonstrations to show that human spaceflight for regular people and discovery missions and science missions for regular people is possible. Jared says... Put us in coach. They've been training for Polaris for since they announced it and they're doing flights, they're doing parachuting. They're doing everything that like a, like a NASA astronaut would do, but they're like, I wouldn't say they're normal people. I would say they're exceptional people that are doing exceptional things, but they aren't NASA astronauts. They're not trained by NASA. They didn't have to go through decades of training in the air force or the Marines or something like that in order to get to this position. Jared is a pilot, but the other thing is, you can go through training, and that's where they're that's what they're doing here. They're going through training to do these incredible missions to to do things like this. And there was a couple more comments that were impressive here. Do you think it would be best to repair Hubble or recover or preserve and preserve with Starship? Both can eventually be done, said Jared. Jared. So Hubble repairs. We know that Hubble's been repaired a few times. Um there are there's use cases for Hubble. Of course, so much science has been done with Hubble. We've discovered so many things and we can continue to discover things. Both can eventually be done. Now STS, STS 125 said problem is Hubble needs more than just a boost. It needs repairs. How do you expect to do this without the shuttle capabilities? It was hard work then with the best only vehicle capable of such work. Now, Jared said replacement computers and gyros are not the size of refrigerators anymore. Uh, STS-125 says, "I get that. I'm thinking more about how do you plan to get up to the body of Hubble and do the work with the resources, especially the Canadarm, or without the resources is what they wanted to say. Without the resources, especially the Canadarm, because basically the space shuttle would fly up, open up its hatch, and people would transfer from the shuttle to the to the telescope via the via the ship. But now, Jared said." A study has already been done with this. So all good. <laughs> like Jared's like, we can do it. Let's just go like NASA, please just let us go up there. Why aren't you let us letting us go up there? I don't know what the deal is, but why aren't you just letting us do this? And Jared is a exceptional human being. He's done so many wonderful things and. He is a proponent of human spaceflight, continues to work hard to lay the foundation for future spaceflight for, I keep calling them regular people or normal people, but they are exceptional people doing this right now. But eventually, decades down the line, everybody will be able to go to space, which is insane to think about. Because these are things that we thought about and people have thought about since the dawn of the space age and since the dawn of the Wright brothers, like how can we get to the moon? And they've been thinking about this for hundreds or thousands of years. Like, how do we get up there? This is the foundation. This is the, this is the legwork that needed to be done. Jared and his teams will be like, basically go down in history as some of the first people to do this other than through a government. Because governments have deep pockets and they also have, the resources to hire people that will get these jobs done, engineers, scientists, et cetera. They can get these jobs done. Now we have for-profit companies like SpaceX. And we also have billionaires like Jared, who's I want to do this cool stuff. Can we work together? I got all this money. Yeah, sure. I do so much wonderful things through St. Jude and helping people out, but shift for payments, things like that. Like his companies make bazillions of dollars. Jared is, I'm a, a an extreme kind of person. I would like to go to space, please. <laughs> SpaceX, take my money. <laughs> the meme, <laughs> take my money. And yeah, so it's, that's what he did to SpaceX. He's like, I want to do these cool things. How can we do this rationally and get these jobs done? Because I want to, I want to be the guy. And that's, it takes a certain kind of person to do that. And Jared is that person. Yeah, I think this is possible. I think it's just really cool. It's just a cool little side thing that we had to talk about today. I thought it was really neat, but there's, there's one other thing that I want to tell you about, because I know if you went this far along this rant that I've been going on today, SpaceX has been talking about having eight to 10 propellant transfer vehicles on their ship, ship to transfer to, to the tanker from the tanker to the ship. And NASA just came through with a high teens number. Hawkins estimated high teens is driven by concerns over propellant loss known as boil off at the depot. So these depots, high teens. So SpaceX and Elon were saying like eight and then they're saying high teens. So it just basically doubles it. Okay. High teens. They're going to send eight or they're going to send 15 tankers boil off because basically the sun is beating down on these things and they're not complete like the molecules in the propellant leak out after a while. And it's just, what can you do? Right? Like it's just physics. It's just, it, that's how it works. So boil off happens unless SpaceX can launch these ships immediately to, they, they might be able to sh- send these eight tankers up in the same 48 hours. And if that's the case, one or two from the Cape and then one or two from Texas. One or two from the Cape, one or two from Tech, back and forth. Get eight to ten up there, and then send the ship up. That's going to be incredible. Is that possible by Artemis three? Now they're pushing back Artemis three to twenty twenty seven now, which is it's concerning, but also it's spaceflight. and the initial the initial timeframes for this were ridiculous to begin with. Everybody knew this in the spaceflight industry that the timeframes for this were ridiculous. We're not going to get Artemis three to to the moon by 2024 it, it just it's a ridiculous timeline and the idea was just to put it out there and then of course it's nasa and it's the government so you can push back a little bit and you can get the the time frames that you need but at the international Astronomical Congress didn't specify a number, only mentioned the need for multiple launches. Hawkins estimated high teens. Achieving the Artemis schedule, managing fuel loss requires rapid, successful successive launches. These will occur from Boca Chica, Texas, and Kennedy Space Center at 39A on a six-day rotation. So, boom, you know that, that's it's going to be insane. And we also have a website, so if you want to learn about this stuff, spacenewspod.com. Go check out SpaceX news. There's numerous other things you can do here. SpaceX, NASA, spaceflight. You can learn about a lot of Starship stuff. So, yeah, please go check out spacenewspod.com. And also, if you get a second, our sponsor is StarshipShirts.com. They help us out, and we can we can get you Starship-based shirts, merch, hats, stuff like that. Good prices, fast shipping and ships worldwide. So go check that out. Starship as well. So SpaceX, NASA and Spaceflight, flight at space I just relaunched this last week. So just take a look around. Let me know what you think in the comments below about the, uh, the tanker transfer protocols. And when do you think, when do you think any of this is going to happen? Tanker transfer going to happen in IFT3? When's it going to happen? Is it going to happen before December 25th? Who? It's going to be, it's going to be close. So if you'd like to read, there you go, spacenewspod.com. Next up is something, life in our solar system. And in a scientific advancement, researchers have demonstrated that amino acids, which are crucial for life, can endure high-speed impacts, such as those experienced during space missions. This finding significantly enhances the feasibility of future space missions to Saturn's moon Enceladus potentially revealing signs of extraterrestrial life. And Enceladus, with its mysterious ice plumes and a suspected subsurface ocean, has long intrigued astronomers. The discovery of these plumes by NASA's Cassini spacecraft in 2005 marked a significant milestone, suggesting the presence of a vast saltwater ocean beneath its icy crust. Now, this revelation has spurred interest in sending probes to fly through these plumes capture ice grains, and return them to Earth for analysis. And such missions could confirm the existence of the ocean and, more tantalizingly, detect signs of life on Enceladus. Now, researchers at the University of California, San Diego, led by Professor Robert Continetti, have now alleviated concerns about potential damage to organic compounds during the collection process. These experiments simulated the high-speed impacts that ice grains from Enceladus would experience When colliding with the spacecraft's collection devices, they found that amino acids within these ice grains could survive impacts up to 4.2 kilometers per second, far exceeding the velocities expected during actual space missions. Now, this finding has wide-reaching implications, not only for Enceladus, but also for other celestial bodies with similar characteristics, such as Jupiter's moon Europa. It opens the possibility for future missions, like the proposed Europa Clipper, to collect and analyze ice grains for signs of life. Now, the UCSD team's research employed advanced techniques and custom-built instrumentation, including an aerosol impact spectrometer to mimic the conditions of space. This apparatus, unique in its capability to control the velocity of particles, allowed the team to study the behavior and survivability of organic compounds at various impact speeds. And in these experiments, they used a process called electrospray ionization to create ice grains akin to those found in Enceladus's plumes. These grains were then subjected to high-speed impacts in the spectrometer. Now, that's a lot of science, and the results were promising. Amino acids were detected with minimal fragmentation, indicating their structural integrity post-impact. And while the presence of amino acids does not in itself confirm the existence of life, it is a significant step towards understanding the potential for life in Enceladus's ocean. Amino acids are fundamental to life on Earth, forming the building blocks of proteins which are essential for all known forms of life. And despite no current formal missions to Enceladus, this research provides strong justification for future explorations. Missions to the moon that could collect and analyze ice grains searching for the fingerprint of life in their chemical compositions Continuity's team has shown that such missions could be conducted without the risk of actually destroying these vital clues. Now, this research not only paves the way for future missions to Enceladus, but also contributes significantly to our understanding of the survivability of organic compounds in space. Raises the intriguing possibility that if life does exist on Enceladus, we may soon have the means to detect it. And the implications of this study extend beyond the realm of space exploration. Understanding the resilience of organic compounds in extreme conditions can inform a wide range of scientific fields, from astrobiology to material science, and as we continue to explore our greater solar system, the findings from Enceladus will undoubtedly play a crucial role in shaping our quest for discovering life beyond Earth. Next up, we are going to focus on the Falcon Heavy rocket. And SpaceX is preparing to launch this rocket, which will be carrying a U.S. Space Force's X-37B orbital test vehicle, and this mission set for liftoff from Kennedy Space Center marks a significant stride for SpaceX's busy year, which has seen a record number of launches. A Falcon 9 rocket recently carried 23 Starlink satellites into orbit, marking SpaceX's 68th launch from the Space Coast in 2023, and this particular booster has been used nine times showcasing SpaceX's commitment to reusability. Now, the upcoming 69th launch will feature the Falcon Heavy, a behemoth comprised of three Falcon 9 rockets. It has 5.1 million pounds of thrust, and it makes it one of the most powerful rockets in operation, outperforming competitors like ULA's Delta IV Heavy. This mission will be Falcon Heavy's third service for the Space Force, deploying the X-37B An uncrewed spacecraft resembling a mini NASA space shuttle. The X-37B has a history of lengthy orbital missions, including a record-breaking 908-day orbit. Now, in this X-37B, there will be no people. It's not a crewed flight. It is a robot. It's a drone. And the Falcon Heavy's side boosters, reused from previous missions, including the Psyche mission and two Space Force missions, will return to Earth creating sonic booms audible across the Space Coast and Central Florida. And if you've never seen a Falcon rocket land, this is one that you want to watch out for. And you can go to SpaceX.com and find out where you can watch that. It's probably going to be only available on X.com. Now, SpaceX has achieved a remarkable record this year with 64 launches from Florida and 26 from California's Vandenberg Space Force Base, totaling 90 successful orbital missions. Most of those were for Starlink missions. And Elon Musk, in a recent statement, highlighted SpaceX's dominant role in launching over 80% of all Earth payload to orbit this year. This includes two orbital flights of the Starship and Super Heavy rocket from Texas. Both of those rockets exploded and hopefully we're going to get an IFT-3 launch sometime maybe later this year or sometime early next year. I'm assuming the first quarter of next year. Now, this upcoming Space Force mission set for Sunday involves the secretive X-37B space plane. Very top secret. This marks the seventh mission for the X-37B, underscoring the importance of such national security space launches. It will continue doing launches until the mission is complete. Nobody really knows what this mission is unless you have top secret clearance. Now, General Kristen Penzenhagen, of Space Launch Delta 45 emphasized the collaboration between the Space Force and the launch service provider, such as SpaceX. This partnership is vital for transporting critical capabilities into orbit. And the Space Force uh, used to be the Air Force and used to be part of the Department of Defense. Now it's just the Space Force. They have worked with partners in the past, including SpaceX and Boeing and other rocket companies in the past. So they continue these partnerships. And also Dr. Walt Lauderdale of the Space Systems Command, the SSC, spoke about the benefits of government and commercial partnerships in space. And notedly, he said that they adapted to the increasing launch tempo, and that's essential for future national security space requirements. The X-37B's last mission set a record by spending over 900 days in orbit. The upcoming launch initially scheduled for December 7th, has been delayed to December 10th due to shifting launch schedules and the availability at the Kennedy Space Center. That place is getting very busy. And the December 10th launch will be the first time the X-37B is launched aboard a Falcon Heavy. Previously, the space plane has primarily used United Launch Alliance's Atlas V rockets with one mission on a Falcon 9. Now, the Falcon Heavy's increased payload capability and ability to reach higher orbits may allow the X-37B to operate in new orbital areas. And the specifics of the spacecraft's mission remain highly classified, but it's known to include experiments in space domain awareness and radiation effects on plant seeds, interestingly. Now, the X-37B, now bearing the Space Force's logo, it's been added to the X-37B just recently, will be encapsulated with its payload fairings ahead of the mission. This launch is another example of SpaceX's role in flying national security payloads, further demonstrated by the reuse of previously flown side boosters. And these side boosters have been part of four earlier missions, including two Space Force launches and the deployment of the Hughes-Jupiter-3 communications satellite and NASA's Psyche probe. With this upcoming mission, SpaceX continues to assert its dominance in the space launch industry, demonstrating both the versatility of its Falcon Heavy rocket and its commitment to national security objectives. The successful launch and operation of the X-37B will further cement SpaceX's role as a key player in space exploration and defense for the United States of America. In astronomy news, a, a giant coronal hole, over five times larger than Jupiter, has recently been observed in the sun's atmosphere. And this event is causing a powerful solar wind to surge through our own solar system. A coronal hole is essentially a vast region in the sun's atmosphere where the solar magnetic field is open, allowing solar winds to escape more freely. And unlike sunspots or solar flares, coronal holes are not immediately visible in optical light, but are distinctly seen in ultraviolet wavelengths. Recently, this coronal hole was positioned in such a way that it faced Earth, directing a stream of solar particles towards our own planet. And while this might sound alarming, the impact on Earth was relatively mild, leading to a minor solar storm. And such solar phenomena are part of the sun's normal activity cycle, which includes periods of heightened activity known as solar maximum. During these times, the sun exhibits increased numbers of sunspots, solar flares, coronal mass ejections, and also coronal holes. The current solar activity aligns with the solar maximum, anticipated to peak in 2024, and this phase is characterized by a reversal in the sun's magnetic field polarity, a fascinating event that occurs approximately every 11 years. Now, sunspots are well-known features, appearing as temporary, cooler, and darker areas on the sun's surface due to intensified magnetic fields. Solar flares and coronal mass ejections are explosive events often linked to these sunspots. Now, coronal holes, though, are less dramatic but also significant. They appear as large, Dark patches in ultraviolet images, cooler and less dense than their surroundings due to the open magnetic fields lines that allow solar wind to escape more easily. And the solar wind emanating from these holes is more intense than usual. When Earth lies in its path, it can lead to geomagnetic storms, though typically of a lower intensity. And the recent coronal hole, now rotating away from Earth, is notably huge, measuring about 800,000 thousand kilometers across, the size is significantly larger than Jupiter, offering a scale of its vastness. Now, when the corona hole was facing Earth, it led to solar winds impacting our planet. The resulting solar storm, however, was classified as G1 to G2 by NOAA, the mildest category with minimal noticeable effects on Earth. And during each solar storm, particles from the solar wind interact with Earth's magnetosphere. This interaction leads to beautiful auroral displays at the poles can sometimes affect power grids, satellite operations, and communication systems. Now, coronal holes differ from solar flares and coronal mass ejections that they do not actively propel solar material outwards. Instead, they allow a steady, more powerful flow of solar wind due to the open magnetic field. The current solar cycle has been stronger than initially anticipated. It has produced impressive auroral displays at latitudes, where such phenomena are rarely observed. And despite the impressive size and activity of the current coronal hole, the overall solar activity in this cycle is not breaking any records. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA, predicts a maximum sunspot number of 173 for the cycle. While this figure indicates a robust level of solar activity, it remains below the average peak of 179 sunspots. Moreover, it is significantly lower than the record high of 285 sunspots recorded during the 19th solar cycle in March of 1958. Now, the context is important as it helps in understanding the relative intensity of the current solar cycle in comparison to historical data. And the significance of these predictions lies in their implications for understanding solar behavior and preparing for potential impacts on Earth. Sunspot numbers serve as a key indicator of solar activity, with higher counts typically correlating with more frequent and intense solar events such as flares and coronal mass ejections. While the current cycle's peak sunspot number is below average, it still represents a considerable level of activity that warrants close monitoring. Scientists and space weather forecasters closely watch these developments to predict and mitigate the effects of solar activity on satellite communications, power grids, and other technologies reliant on solar-based systems. It's also noteworthy to consider the unpredictability inherent in solar dynamics. And while the predicted peak sunspot number is a valuable tool for forecasting, the sun often presents surprises. The current cycle, for instance, is also shown stronger than expected activity, leading to some remarkable auroral displays at unusually low attitudes. This unpredictable nature of solar activity underscores the importance of continuous observation and studies, It enables scientists not only to refine their understanding and predictions of solar behavior, but also to improve preparedness for the varying impacts of solar activity on our technologically dependent society. Now, as the sun approaches the peak of its activity cycle, we can expect much more intriguing phenomena. While most impacts on Earth are very mild, these events remind us of our planet's dynamic relationship with our star continually shaping our space environment. Thank you so much for tuning into the show today. I really do appreciate your support throughout the years that I've been doing this show. Now, if you want to support us even more, hit the subscribe or the follow button on your podcast platform that you're listening on right now. Helps us out just a little bit. We get a new listener, which is awesome. Welcome to the Flight Club if you hit the subscribe button. We do appreciate you. And if you want to help more, go to patreon.com slash stage zero. S-T-A-G-E z-e-r-o and you can help us out over there and support our show and we have a lot of patreon supporters that continue to support us throughout the months so without you we couldn't do it also i want to say thank you to our sponsor starshipshirts.com if you want to get starship inspired and spacex inspired and nasa inspired gear go over there starshipshirts.com and pick yourself up a t-shirt any size, they ship anywhere, and they're printed just for you. Also, every episode of the show is about 10 minutes or under. We post every single day. So make sure to hit the subscribe button so you get all the latest news from NASA, SpaceX, and other spaceflight companies. Please take care of yourselves and each other, and I will see you tomorrow.